Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, August 22nd. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, join us next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you're part of Faith Bridge Online, join us at faithbridge.org live. Here's Pastor Ken. Amen. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Why don't you be seated and welcome. If you're new around here, you should know this is what we call Back to School Sunday, just kind of kicking off the fall season. And, and, uh, and so we're just really glad you're here in whatever venue that it is or format that you're, that you're worshiping with us today. And if you're new, you, you might be wondering, so like kind of what's the deal about this church? I've heard about it. We're just checking it out today. And Heard you got this thing going, an uh, expo outside and all that kind of stuff. I'll just tell you what the main thing is. The main thing about Faith Bridge is that we're a church full of sinners who've surrendered to God. We've been transformed with love through our trust in the Son who died on the cross and conquered our grave to show us his truth and save us by grace. That's what we're about here at Faith Bridge. That's the main thing. And if that sounds good to you, I hope that you'll stick around and come back and be a part. You can stay and, and, and just let's get you plugged in um, today. So the question that I wanna talk about today is this. What do you reach for first when the bottom falls out? What do you reach for first when the bottom falls out? You get some bad news, you didn't see it coming. You end up in a place you never expected. The relationship breaks up, the dreams crash down. Your character called into question. Somebody's tarnishing your name with falsehood. What do you reach for first? Maybe you reach for your phone or some other electronic device so that you can set the record straight and give somebody a front end alignment. Or do you reach for a, a glass of wine just to take the edge off? Maybe you grab your remote and just say, I'm just going to binge watch a whole series. Or maybe it's pornography. Or maybe you just crawl in bed and try to wish it away. I ask you this because what you turn to first is what you trust in most. That's just the truth. What you turn to first is what you trust in most. And that's why I've been really excited about the passage that we're going to look at today. It's in Acts chapter 16. And so if you want to be turning there uh, in your Bible or on your electronic device, the ushers have some coming down and they'll be glad to let you have one. Acts chapter 16, that's where we're going to go um, today. And so as you're turning to Acts chapter 16, I'll just kind of give you a little contextual background. Here's what was going on. It's the earliest days of Christianity. The new church is being started. You have Paul you have Silas, and they're going from town to town, village to village, and they're bringing the gospel. They're telling people about Christ and that they can be saved through Christ and what he did on the cross. 
and they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and then they would get these converts and then what they would do is they would cluster them up together and they would start these churches all around the Mediterranean region. And so the one that we're looking at today actually happened in Philippi, but we're not gonna look in Philippians, we're actually in Acts. But this is the setting there in Philippi when we get to Acts chapter 16. In fact, they just got there and the day has started out pretty well because they met this lady named Lydia and Lydia was a successful entrepreneur and she sold purple cloths and that was kind of a, a special thing. And she trusts in Christ and she gets baptized and so, Paul and Silas are like, man, so far so good today, God. This is a pretty good day if you're a pastor, right? Or a missionary. But then what I want us to do is I want to look at what happens, what happens in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Okay, that's where we're going to go. So let's read that. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit which she, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So enter the, this slave girl um, who's owned by some guys who are pimping her out to people who want to tap into her clairvoyant uh, demonic power and find out what their future is, right? Verse 17. So she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She wasn't wrong about this one. I mean, she was actually getting this one right. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Talk about false accusations. They're not rallying up the city at all. They just did an exorcism after a conversion of Lydia. This is just kind of what they're doing. They've exercised this demon from the slave girl. It's the owners who are upset because they're like, she was making money for us. And so they're going to rile up the city. Note to self, stay away from mobs. They get really dangerous really fast, no matter what the original cause or catalyst. Because people take on this mob mentality and they become like a pack of dogs and it's like they park their brains and it just turns dangerous, never works out well. And that's what we see, verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they've been severely flogged and that triggers the cat of nine tails, which Jesus would have had, it was a torture device that, that, that had these nine whips, these nine lashes that would, that would uh, have shards of glass and, and uh, you know, metal and stuff in them that would just dig into the backs of people. So they're whipped with, with that and then they're thrown into prison and, 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 and then it says the jailer is commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now the day's going pretty bad for these preachers, these evangelists. 
the, the jailer, probably hoping to score a point or two with his superiors, he takes these preachers not just to any cell. He takes them to the innermost cell. And then he puts their feet in stocks like they're going to do something harmful or dangerous. You say, well, exactly what was that? We got a little picture here just to kind of give you a concept. Here's, here's what the stocks looked like. They'd, they'd put your, your, your feet in there, and then sometimes they'd spread them out, actually. And so they'd spread them real wide, and that's a good stretch if you're working out. But you don't want to sit in that position all day and all night, right? Cramping up and stuff that's, that's going on. And so, so this now is what's going on. Paul and Silas, their backs are bleeding. Their legs are cramping. They can't call anybody. They can't post anything. They can't uncork a bottle of anything to take the edge off. They can't turn on Netflix and distract themselves. So what else is there? What do they do? This is what I want us to see. Verse 25, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought these prisoners have all escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So when all hell broke loose, what did Paul and Silas do? What did they reach for first? They reached for God. They started worshiping. Now, they couldn't go off to church to do their worship. Like some of you can't right now. You're back home. You're like, it's going to be a few weeks for the Delta. I've got to play it safe. Get it. No guilt. I read your surveys. I'm not, there's no guilt. It's really okay, all right? So I love you, and you'd just be back when you, when you, can, when you can get back. So they can't go to church. So what do, what do Paul and Silas do? They bring church right into the cell. They turn their prison of pain into, the prison, to, into this prison of, of, of praise. They transform it. Now, were they still uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. Were they still in pain? Absolutely. Scared? You better believe it. But instead of pouting, they started praying. Instead of shouting curses, they started singing choruses. When the bottom fell out, it's, it's just they knew exactly what glass to shatter in case of an emergency. They, they reached up and shattered the glass that separates earth from heaven. And it's just like they reached up and they grabbed hold of all of heaven's power that they could clutch onto to bring it down. And amazing things happen, which begs a question that I've been pondering as I've been preparing for today. I'm wondering why don't more of us turn to God first like they do when the bottom falls out I mean all God's people got problems not surprising about that and, and the truth is I, I look around and you do too and I see a lot of people reaching for every gear imaginable 
but I'm not seeing too many of those gears working out so well. In fact, I, I venture to say I, I see more people today who are depressed, who are angry, who are guarded, who are suspicious, who are spouting off like little robots, undigested comments from their favorite social post or news source. I say, I don't think that's working. If we want to see more miracles, maybe we need to learn how to make of our prisons of pain places of praise like Paul and Silas did. They didn't wait around. They, they, they couldn't wait for anybody else to come and, and make things better. And they weren't going to wait till they felt a little happier. No, they just start in. And that leads to the first of three things that I want you to notice in our passage. It's about worship. The first one is this. Worship is proactive. It's proactive. They didn't wait for anybody to come and get them started. No, no, no. They're initiating it themselves. Worship comes from the Greek word proskuneo. And it's a Greek word that means bending forward to kiss. And so what, what, what's going on here is they're like, okay, we're, we don't like this. But we're going to bend forward and we're reaching out for God right now. There's no passivity going on. It's active. But I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding when it comes to worship of God. Private worship on their own, public worship, you know, on the seventh day as well. Let me explain this way. Suppose I asked you, are you going to eat today? Um, do you think for a minute, if you said yes, that I would think, oh, so you're going to go, you're going to sit down at a table. If you're eating out, you're going to get a, a, a menu. You're going to look through the menu. You're going to place the order. Rather, not you. You're going to watch somebody else do this. I wouldn't imagine that for a second, that you're going to go and you're just going to watch somebody across the table for you do the ordering and then do the eating and then get up and you say, well, that was really good. Now, they, they, now, if you tell me you're going to eat, I know you are going to eat. It's an active thing. And, and, and similarly, I would fully expect if you said, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I, I need to work on my cardiovascular conditioning. Great. But if then you plop down on the lazy boy to start watching other people exercise on TV, you start watching other people play sports, is that gonna help you get into cardiovascular shape? No. There's no such thing as passive exercise. And you know this. Now, the reason I share this is because what I think many people don't realize is there's no such thing as passive worship. That's an oxymoron. It just like, passive dining or passive exercise but I think a lot of people say well I, I think isn't worship just like I'm, I'm, I'm going to church today and by that what you mean is I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch some people up front do their worship you know and listen to the music and hear what he says and 
but I'll get up and, you know, give it an A, B, C plus, you know, and we'll be back the next time. I think that's the mentality that a lot of people have. And while that is not an incorrect mentality, if you're going to the theater, if you're going to watch a movie, your job is to sit and to spectate. But see, God never intended for people to go into houses of worship and to passively watch other people up front doing the worshiping. But I think a lot of people in America have gotten this concept, that's what worship is. And the deepest question they can answer afterwards is, did you get something out of it or not? Yeah, I got something out of it. No, I didn't get much out of it. The better question, friends, if we really understood this is an active thing, would be what did you put in to worship? Did you, did you engage your soul in the songs? Did you actually move your lips and actually try to sing a little bit? And even if it's not so good, you're making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Did you join your hearts with others in prayer? Did you open your Bible and, and learn from God's word? The, the, the question isn't what you get out of it. The question is, what did you put into it? Today, Soren Kierkegaard was an old philosopher and theologian of a different generation. But he says an interesting thing. He says the misconception that we have about worship is this. It's that people think the preacher and the musicians up front are the primary actors. And the ushers, they're the prompters. And the audience is you. Everybody who's sitting out in the congregation. But Kierkegaard says, that's not biblical. No, in reality, the preacher and the musicians, we're just prompters. The audience is God, which makes the primary actors you and you and you and you. Paul and Silas, they weren't passively worshiping. No, they were going all in. They were actively going after God. They were proactive. And you know what? I think if God were given grades and he got to those two that day, he'd say, your worship today, A plus amazing that's what I always had in mind that my children would be doing because I want to show up and I want to bless and I want to surprise and I want to I want to do things too good not to believe so how's your worship Paul and Silas they went after God proactively that's the first thing. There's a second thing I notice. And it's, it, it, it's this. If, if it's true that whatever you turn to first, you trust in most, then I think it's safe to say Paul and Silas, they didn't need much correcting. They had it right. But the second thing that I want us to realize is that most of us don't. And worship is corrective 
for most of us. We need to let it be corrective for most of us. What do I mean here? Follow me. Um, everybody, whether you're in church or not, everybody worships. <laughs> There's just a lot of people worshiping the wrong thing. There's a lot of people responding to something but God with all that they are. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's their net worth. Maybe it's another person. They, they, but they're not worshiping God. They are worshiping. Every, everybody's worshiping. You're putting something high and lifted up in your life. Everybody worships. Think about it this way. Why does our solar system work so well? Because the planets are always revolving around the sun. It's always been that way. That's their job. They just go around the sun. Now, for kick, suppose one of those planets one day just rose up and said, you know, this is just so predictable. I think to spice it up, y'all should revolve around moi. What would happen? Cataclysmic disaster. That's what would happen if the planets tried to revolve around something but the sun. Similarly, friends, I think one of the reasons that we're seeing what we're seeing in society is that there's so many people who have let other things slide into the center of their solar system. And it's not God, and they're not going after God. And they can't figure out why is this not working? It's like, it's not that complicated. Let me ask you, do you think society is, is, is doing better today than five years ago, 10 years ago? Let's roll it back even further, 15, 20 years. I was asking myself this, just like back when we started the church 20 or so years ago. It's like, whew. I don't think it's too complicated. And here's the interesting thing. Sociologists are writing about this left and right. You could even correlate the number of people attending worship. And you can see its decline. They, all these people track it and they send it to us pastors and it's so depressing. So finally, I can't take any more of it. You know, 25% down, 30, 40% down from 20 years ago and 30 years ago. But meanwhile, you look at society, you're like, How's that working for us? The one that we should be worshiping has been forgotten. There's other things that have moved into the people's center of their solar system, like their kids, their kids' sports, their politics, their image, their finances, their health. All sorts of things that become little gods with a little g. And see, all of those little things, all of those things, they make fine planets but they make horrible centers to the, our solar system. And so my question is, how, how is it with your solar system? Or how is it with your soul? See, when people say, well, why do I need to worship every week? Why do I need to be at church every week? That sort of thing. I don't know, but maybe... Back in the beginning, when God talked about the seventh day, 
resting, refocusing. Maybe he knew something about us, his creation. <laughs> Maybe he knew already, yep, give them six days and they will really, really get out of orbit. But you look at people, it's like, oh my gosh, you're a mess. And our society's a mess. And I think we know why. It's proof positive that this isn't working. So <clears throat> worship, it's proactive, it's corrective, and we need that. Our souls need that, that correction. And then last thing, it's transformative. Worship, godly worship is transformative. Now, back in verse 25, <clears throat> what's going on? Paul and Silas, they start praying. And they start singing. Can you imagine that? They're in prison. They're in the innermost cell. It's dark. It's dungeon-like. And all of a sudden, the other prisoners who've been there a long time, they, they hear, you know, Paul and Silas, all of a sudden they hear, you're a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. They're like, what? Who have they brought in here? What is going on? You know, though, that they were dialed in. It says they were listening. Yeah. Light in the darkness. And then, bam! And this is what, I just love this passage because it's just like God, too good to not believe, says, I'm going to bring some light in the darkness. I just, I love what I'm seeing here. How about a little earthquake, people? And their chains fall off. The gates fly open. And, and you know this is too good to not be true. And here's why you know this is not a made-up story. Because this is a made-up story. The author would have said, and Paul and Silas were rightly vindicated. And they went hightailing it out of the prison and they ran free and it served that jailer and all those bad people right. And Paul and Silas lived happily ever after. But that's not what happened. Now, quite the contrary. They don't run when they could have run. And we know it because the jailer wakes up and he's like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and he's thinking, they're, they're going to kill me tomorrow because that's the jailer's only job to keep the prisoners. And he, so he's like, I'll just do it for them and get it taken care of. So he gets his sword out and right when he's getting ready to do it, Paul and Silas say, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Think of those words. Words of hope when that man needed some hope right there. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Which is, by the way, why we do this thing like called the, the expo and why we get here and set out the tents and, and do what we were talking about earlier with all the different grow groups and the serve teams and, and all the on-ramps because we just have a sneaking suspicion there's a lot of people right here hearing my voice whether you're in this room or communion room or even online, and you're like, you know, the truth is I could use some people who would say, don't harm yourself. We're all here, man. Why don't you come and be a part of what God is doing? Come grow with us in a grow group. Come serve with us in a serve team because we're stronger together. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And it didn't mean just Paul and Silas. It meant the other prisoners too. And that's what's really interesting. Nobody is apparently running off. But as I was pondering it this week and praying about it, I was like, Lord, why did they not run off? 
I felt like the, the, the Lord said, w- w- would you? Imagine. These guys have been in prison for a lot longer than Paul and Silas. And you ask one of them, what happened? He'd be like, it's the most amazing day I ever in my life. They bring these evangelist preachers in and they lock them up, put them in stock. I mean, it's, it's like they're not that bad. And then instead of shaking the bars and pouting and crying and saying they didn't get their rights, and they start praying. I'm listening to them pray. It's real. It's deep prayer. Then they start singing. And one of the songs they sang, it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid. And I remember my mom singing some things like that. And then this earthquake happens, and the chains fall off, and I'm like, oh my gosh, should I run? I don't think so, because whatever they have inside of them, I got to stick around and get some of that inside of me. I'm staying wherever they are, because I need what they have. And the jailer, he doesn't kill himself. And the jailer, then he goes and he flops down at their feet and he says, what do I need to, be sa- to do to be saved? And they said, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your whole household and you'll be saved. And so he gets saved and, and his household and they have a baptism. And then, and then the jailer, I mean, you know he's saved because now he's not mean. Now he's not torturing. Now he's like, let me clean your wounds and then let's have some food here. And, and I'm telling you, friends, If we could get this right, if we could get our worship right with our hearts and our heads engaged with Christ at the center, not just occasionally, maybe a few times a year when it's, well, I've got a little extra time, I guess let's let's go to church. But if we could get this right daily, daily in our own personal worship, our own devotional times. And then on the seventh day, if, we, if we'd bring all of that, the overflow of the time we'd been spending with God, we'd bring that into here, what we'd been cultivating throughout the week. I'm telling you, the presence of the Lord would just get more and more palpable. And people would come in as they do but would even more come in and say, I got to come back to this place. I don't exactly understand what's going on there, but I just, every time I go, I feel God's presence. And I need him at the center. And that, friends, is what I want for us. A church full of people who are turning every day And certainly every Sunday and worshiping him proactively, correctively, transformationally. Because I promise you, it would make a difference. It would make a difference, not just in our church, it would make a difference in our society. Because what we turn to first we trust in most.